This is the Late Night Science. Today with your hosts, Dr. Axel Schumacher and Dr. Daryl Baker. Our guest today, from Cologne, world's most famous forensic scientists who worked on Hitler's skull. Was lead singer of the punk band The Donovan Revolution, a tattoo evangelist who worked on the case of serial killer Louis Carabito, best-selling author of many printed books, who made a political career as the chairman of the Deeper Time, Dr. Mark Benecker. Just a normal guy. Ask yourself, who am I and how do I know myself? I am a scientist. What defines me? Is it my inner nature to be strict and methodical? Is it in my genes to be a scientist? I think The essence of science is actually creativity. I see science as a form of art. It were mostly scientists who changed the way we live on this planet. Science helped us to get rid of the fanatic superstitious grip that kept us in fear. I am a scientist. But is it all I am? I am an author too. Can I be both? I also worked as an artist, stunt driver, as an antique dealer, comic book author, crypto trader, sportsman, and a caregiver for the elderly, and many more jobs. I am you. I joke, I laugh, I cry. I'm passionate about my science, just as the artist is about painting. But is it in my identity? What makes me the same person as yesterday or 50 years ago? The intimate connection between personal identity on the one hand and the concept of moral responsibility for past actions and practices, of praise and blame on the other forced mankind to wrestle with what it means to be a person as a continuing entity through time. Many of the things that we refer to on a day-to-day basis are changing. Think about a book. If at your page, is it still the same book? If I shave my head, does it change my identity? The philosopher David Hume said that all we are is a bundle of perceptions at any given reference point. The self, for Hume, when perceived as something fixed through time, is just an illusion. 
I have to discuss this with another scientist. Or an artist? A lead singer in a punk band? Or a politician? Or a book author? Or all of this at once? Ah. I will give Mark Benecke a call. The most famous forensic scientist on the planet. And an old friend from my university years. Let's see if he is still the same person he was back then. Let's go. Mark! Yeah, we made, I made it. Welcome, I'm, welcome. Thank you very much. No, you you are welcome in my home because the the thing is, this is not a virtual background. In contrast to Axel, Axel just has a virtual cozy looking background, but I I do have a, a real cozy background. Yeah. So okay, so that that's directly my first question. So who did you kill? Who's that guy <laughs> that you killed over there? That's probably the owner of of the uh, cupboard here in the back now, but it's uh, because this comes from the Institute of Legal Medicine in Cologne, uh, and it was it was up in the attic, and uh, all the Mark, technical... you, know you should not just take stuff. <laughs> but it, it took it for a, it took it for a good reason for a social reason because the technical assistants uh, who were very young they would always go up and they thought nobody would realize, but I did. And they were smoking behind that thing. <laughs> so I just took it away. And when we took it away, there was a huge pile, not kidding, a huge pile of cigarette butts. And, you know, I did it just for the health of the young oh, technical assistants. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, yeah, okay. And, I, I think that's, oh, yeah. that's fine. Oh my God. <clears throat> uh, but I, uh, hey, I'm so excited to have you on my podcast. No, I, I really am. <laughs> Um, I mean, we, we have usually, we have really famous people. We had really, really great scientists, great minds in the, in our last podcast. And I thought now for a change, I invite you. Indeed, because that is, <laughs> that is actually true because being a forensic biologist, you can never be uh, like famous, famous scientists because you're always, it's always sleeves up. It's just like blood, sperm, saliva, hair, opium, whatever, but it's really disgusting, you know, isn't it? No, not disgusting, but it, it's not the stuff for a Nobel Prize, you know, unlike yeah. you. I mean, you you are roaming around in laboratories that very closely scratch Nobel Prizes or sometimes even get one. But in our laboratory, no way. Today, I had to deal the whole day with allegedly war, worms and nanorobots in Corona masks. That's what I did wow. the whole day. No Nobel Prize material there. Oh, we, we will see about that. We will, maybe... <laughs> you have connections. Axel has connections. Okay, okay. I added another co-founder to my company, and this is no other than George Church, Professor George Church from Harvard. Mm -hmm. He will join us in our company. And <laughs> um, yeah, we, we, we want to really make it make it big yeah so good, 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 good. interesting stuff but but enough about me and uh daryl so he didn't say anything daryl yeah. didn't say so anything. first we have let's let's do first a proper introduction like so we have here our guest from cologne germany mark benicke dr mark benicke very famous potential Nobel laureate in the future, <laughs> forensic biologist. So now 
Come on, for, for the people, I mean, we are more we are international. So in Germany, you are you are really famous. So everyone knows you. You cannot, cannot probably you cannot walk over the street in Cologne without people coming to you, kissing you and hugging you, even during Corona. And but outside in the world where you are only semi-famous. So maybe give a, just in a few sentences, what, what are you doing? And people, people on the, in the streets, they don't kiss me, but they're always like, oh, I need an apartment. Uh, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? It's more, like, it's, it, it's more, it's more that I'm the, the helpful specter of, of our, you know, part of the town, Cartier or in Kölsch, in the local language here, it's a fiddle. So it's a, it's a quarter allegedly of the town, which is not. So that's what probably I'm most famous for, for helping people. No, but internationally speak, uh, speaking, um, I'm a forensic biologist, like I said, and I, I get cases that that are beyond what my colleagues want to do because I'm mm. out of the system. I'm officially certified and sworn in, self-employed, freelance forensic biologist. And in the German system, unlike the American, Australian, British, and so on system, we have a Roman law here from the Romans from 2000 years ago. And that means we don't have juries. And um, since we don't have juries, everything is a little bit less, you know, less, <laughs> there's not such a big show in, in the courtroom. It's yeah. very factual and very boring, like very German. And that means that if you have an expert from a state office, for example, from the Federal um, Institute for, you know, Police Criminalistic uh, Institute, then the idea is that this is a good expert. Which is, which is true, but you cannot have a second opinion because the, the judge will say, well, we have an expert, so why would we need a second expert? So um, all those cases that, that you know, just go down the drain or ach, for, for many reasons go wrong, th these uh, cases end here or cases that anybody considers to be not a case. For example, nanorobot particles in Corona masks. I'm mm -hmm. the only one who would do that. In the United States, I'm mostly known because I work, um, I, we have a little session at the American Academy of Forensic Sciences meeting. And sometimes I do it together with, with a forensic scientist who is the best known forensic scientist in the United States. And the session is called bring your own slides. So you, wow. you just show like a few slides and it's like the, the weirdest case that you had. Uh, in Canada, my, I'm probably known for a big study that I did together with a Canadian scientist that was about hanging what happens to people when they hang themselves and I had a lot of videos so my colleague traveled over she's the head of an institute for legal medicine in Canada and we looked at all those videos and checked how long you know can you do whatever you want in the Philippines and in Vietnam I set up the first forensic DNA lab that was ever set up there so it depends on the country <laughs> what people might know about me yeah 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 yeah, yeah. absolutely no, but it's um, everybody's interested in death. <laughs> yeah, that's that. That's the thing. I mean, we have to. Of course, we have to go through a few of the cases you you that made you also famous. But um, to give a little bit of background, so for for our audience, so the two of us we know each other. So we studied together biology in Cologne. This is oh my god, yeah, we are old now. Well, if I look at your gray beard, it must it must be quite a while ago. <laughs> it must have been quite a while. Yeah, I can tell, when, I can when tell people something about you because when when Axel was roaming the institute, 
in Cologne, there was a very good institute for genetics, which, uh, which came out of the war. And uh, during the war, of course, genetics in Germany was a thing, you know, the wrong thing. So the institute was very particularly um, set up with people who are very liberally spirited. And it was a very diverse <laughs> institute. And Axel was roaming around there and just, you know, once in a while writing a paper for science or something like that. So, um, he made the best out of it. <laughs> this, yeah, yeah. We know each other for quite a while. It was it was a good time. Like, um, oh my God, there's so 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 many stories. Uh, but just uh, we cannot go on everything. But once you showed up at my birthday party, you had a punk band at that time. You was you were lead singer at a punk band, right? That's right. Yes, the, the, it was called the Blonde Abortion. The yeah. the the blonde guys, uh, and the joke was that no none of us was blonde, so we thought it was funny. You know? Yeah, that was yeah. You know, nah. no, no, it's that's well, you learn. For today's standards, today it's not funny anymore, but it was then. <laughs> <laughs> it was no, it was. We had we had to was political satire though. So no, we yeah. had a great party. We had a great party. I have, to, I have to say. So like, uh, actually, you guys were. I, I thought you were pretty good. Honestly, thank you I, very much. No, honestly, but, yeah, I'm, 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 I continue to sing, but the problem is that nowadays, now we have like very good videos. For example, we did um, Leonard Cohen cover uh, LP or, or CD or whatever you want to call it, a stream package. Um, and Leonard Cohen was was a yeah, goth, the first gothic person with, <laughs> you know, when it comes to gothic culture, a singer at least. And uh, the the videos got blocked because we did one of the videos at KitKat Club in Berlin, which is a subculture sex club. And for some reason that, that you know, that got taken out of YouTube. Why? I have absolutely no idea, to be honest. They also took out another video that I did with a sex worker during Corona to tell people that sex workers and people in sex shops have a problem because nobody is allowed to get out anymore. And it was just, we were just running around the streets in the red light district in Frankfurt. And you know, you can show that on every public TV station, but as, as soon as I'm in, it's getting banned. So bad times for musicians like me because <laughs> we get a ban yeah, all the time. I mean, Back then, when, when you had your punk band, it, it was anyways, it was a different time. It, that was when, when punk still had a meaning, right? <laughs> I'm uh, not so sure. I'm not so sure about that. But, but you know, that's one of the things that I learned. It's like in science. Th these are just seeds that you throw out and then you can never know if they really flower or if they grow or if they don't. It's the same with science. There are, there are many very interesting ideas that just, you know, are forgotten in science some of them since we spoke about Nobel prizes some of them become like really of interest and you don't really know why they are such an interest some are very technical like uh, PCR and Kerry Mullis I mean mm. but today he probably wouldn't even get an extra paycheck for inventing PCR but in those times it was a Nobel prize or pff, ach, it's I, I think all we do, no matter what it is, anything, it's just, we just give it a chance, or maybe like a child or something. You just let it, you, you need to let it go and then something happens, you don't know what happens. Totally, I mean, it's, it's quite a journey. I mean, even looking back when, when the two of us were there at the Institute, I, I don't know if you remember, we once had a big uh, demonstration in front of the Institute and it was um, again, of course, against genetics and it was uh, organized by some, some group that said that all geneticists are very evil 
<laughs> while in reality it's only about 40 percent of us who are evil <laughs> but the, the, the majority is actually quiet. plus you too 40 percent plus you too <laughs> yeah and now what what was what was so fascinating is i mean i don't know if people no i think people are probably more stupid today but this is even the shocking part now but there was this this lady who was um in the front and she was the leader of this 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 massive group and there were almost thousand people in front of the institute demonstrating as so, all tear down this building evil guys and she was explaining about genetics you know, with her world view you know, and then she said so yeah these guys there you know, pointing at us so they are so evil because they're working on on gene, uh, on dna and dna is smaller than atoms so they don't know what they're doing yeah it was a, it was an interest about that that's kind of interesting <laughs> dna smaller there, than there are probably papers about that but I, but they probably didn't make it through peer review no but the thing is in cologne we had another interesting institute oh, uh, not directly related to the institute for genetics but of course they were cooperating it was about plant genetics and um they had to deal at that time, the time that Axel, okay. Axel is talking about referring to, with people who did not know that every plant that they that people eat contains DNA. So our big thing was the gene tomato. So they were they were showing posters with tomatoes, and that was it. And then everybody knew, oh, tomatoes are very dangerous because some of them have DNA that has been modified in them. And then we said, well all vegetables contain DNA and you eat it all the time. And one of the guys who also Axel knew very well, um, one of the professors did a little study and that was clever. Th this, for example, is one of the things that is forgotten now because it's not important anymore, but that was really a nice little thing. He fed, I think to mice, um, yeah. you know, DNA types, DNA that was known. And then he looked how much made it through the passage uh, to the intestine through the intestinal passage and that i thought was interesting because he knew how much this could backfire because now he the geneticist proved that the dna might survive the intestinal passage but he still did it because it was true and in his opinion it would it only did show that dna is a stable molecule so even if you boil something tomatoes then the DNA would survive the boiling. And I think that's exactly what we are supposed to do. Just no matter how much the truth can be screwed and, and, and twisted afterwards, you know, just explain it calmly and, and do the experiment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, speaking of kids and children or seeds that you send out, yeah, that's also I, one I of think the it's, things. I, th I think it's, it's certainly, you, you always have the same people and obviously this, with science, you you cannot convince them. With data, with facts, you, you will never be able to convince them. It just doesn't work. This experiment, it was actually done at uh, Professor Walter Dörfler's lab, so where I did my PhD. So it was done in our lab. It was it was very interesting. It was actually what we also did. We, we fed adenovirus DNA, mm. basically concentrated uh, adenovirus DNA to the mice. And then we could see that, of course, uh, like one billionth of the of the DNA would survive the passage through the uh, intestine. But you know, you know how it is. So it's it's. 
but I but I learned something from that from from these little experiments. Also, I was in the department for experimental morphology, where formerly before I came, they would cut yeah. off um, limbs and see if the limbs could regenerate, you know, from from amphibs and so on. And mm. the guys were still there who had done all of this. And when we came, that was research that was considered to be too old fashioned to even mention. It was considered to be useless, but it was not, of course, because this inspired other people to look at the regeneration of invertebrates. And that again was interesting uh, to see how, for example, when Christiane Nusslein uh, got her Nobel Prize, one of the professors later came to our, uh, one of her pupils came to, uh, came to our um, department of genetics and um, they were out, out of the experimental morphology came the idea um, how to check about all of the developmental genes that, that were completely unknown when our old timers did that. So um, I liked it to not um, to measure or rate or, or have an opinion about the kind of experiment that was done because after when it's done, it's done, but more about the question, how can this be useful later, even though it is probably considered to be cruel or unnecessary or sleeves up, but um, I like that a lot. I collect a lot of, like I said, this is all real. I collect a lot of old experiments and old literature and you often you find something very interesting just in mm. hinted in a footnote or something. Yeah. And then I try to find out uh, what's in the footnote. And very often I come up with interesting ideas, especially when it comes to superstition, because many of the superstitions that we have today, modern superstitions um, are rooted in very old superstitious beliefs. And it's always good to know out of which cultural or social uh, context this mm. came. And then you yeah. can refer to it, especially um, Catholic wonders because sometimes i get like let's say you have tears flowing down from a crying um, image and then i take the tears and check what these tears are for example plant oil or you know it, it could be anything or even water but that alone um, like like axel said will probably not fully convince the person but when you let's say you go to, i also did blood miracles in naples in italy and so on but once you understand why they do it and what it means to them, that it was very astonishing for me to find out that then you can talk to them. For example, you can say, okay, what you gave me here is not blood, is not a tear. And I show you why. I show you the laboratory report and you know I know how to behave in a church or how to behave in your culture. And then, for example, if they say, well, okay, but then that was not a miracle. But next time I see it, it's going to be a miracle. And then I'm very friendly and I say, okay, could be. If you're interested in determining the tear, the blood or whatever is next time, just write me an email. I will be there. And then for, for those people, it's more that not somebody from the outside tells them about their world, but they decide. They decide yeah. if they want to do the scientific investigation and then they are in power and then they're ready to believe whatever comes out of the scientific investigation because they kind of consulted me and uh, so i like that, that idea I, I like that there, there's certain I, I, I think some interesting parts when it comes to genetics and genomics because when when i've done stuff in the gulf and uh, we talk about mutation and, and point mutations and things like that when it comes to disease I mean, I've had some really interesting conversations too, where where we, we where we've discussed, um, is it the will of 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 the God or and uh, that's caused this and and why and why somebody has died and it's like 
the, the perception is kind of interesting because it's it's because they've been called to the afterlife uh, uh, because they need they're needed by God to do something and that's why they die early because they've been called and it's it's a privilege to die early in the culture because God's called them and and it, it's kind of interesting that and I said what is it is the mutation caused by the devil is it you know and, and you kind of play these uh, these the, these interesting games about why why somebody's called and so you can have some really interesting conversation on the ethical side of things and on the on how uh, things are perceived, and I, 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 I find it fascinating what you said about the tears and the blood, and how that can be. It's not just you saying disproving something. No, that's rubbish, or that's something like. It's like no, this this is not. But maybe next time it is. And and it, and it, I thought kind of interesting when as scientists how we approach things. You could be completely dismissive, and and quite quite obnoxious for want of a better word in terms yeah. of how you how you approach something, how you approach a message. But then again. I don't take that point of view. I think I'm interested in what you're saying and why you're saying it. And and I'm not saying it's I don't have the evidence to say that, that what you're saying is is true or not. Either way, I'm giving you just the evidence that I, I know. Um, yeah, exactly. And let's talk about let's talk about the dialogue of, of why you have those beliefs. And and even to, even even saying that, that it may well, be, may well be God's will, but I can't disprove that or, or, or not prove it. And so exactly. I, I have another example for that. When we deal with suicides, yeah, we yeah, very, yeah. very often we were we were in our laboratory and we we're like, why are they just not letting it go? And the reason is that for uh, in uh, Orthodox Catholics or, or old fashioned Catholics, Muslims and many other cultures, they are sometimes under, not so much under the perception that they should have done something to prevent the suicide. Of course, that's probably normal for, for all families. But the problem for some cultures is that you go to hell yeah. in case yeah. you committed a suicide and be very closely monitor what we say in such cases because they are not interested in a regular criminalistic investigation. So in some cases, we just say, you know what, um, it will be very expensive. We, we understand that now that we check the files, but here's the address of, uh, in Germany, we call that a Notfallseelsorger or that it's uh, it's kind of a, a so, not really a social, it's social workers who exclusively work with extreme cases like death and, and extreme mm -hmm. violence and so on. Um, sometimes it's just a guy from the fire department who, who works for 30 years at the fire department. So you don't even, have, it, I'm not talking about priests or anything or like super specialized uh, people who did university, have a university degree or something. And then these people do something completely unexpected. For example, just one example, they would say, okay, here's the thing. You're talking about like two years now about this non-suicide, which Dr. Binecki thinks may be a suicide when did you go to holidays last time when was your last holiday together as a family and then when we heard that for the first time we were like why is he asking that stupid question what does it have to do with criminalistic stains mm. but uh, now i understand it he, he tried to push it into a direction of this is a family matter and you need to see something else you need to breathe fresh air you need mm -hmm. to you know mm -hmm. get your get your shit together as a family because this is going to destroy your family so yeah. since then, we very often just refer them there. And if they come back from the social service, not service, from the social experience person, then we go back to the stains. But to be honest, that is rarely the case. Most of the time, they deal with this socially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that means, Mark, if you have a case and there are other people involved, even um, potential, um, if there are accusations 
you know, and do you deal with those people as well? Do you, or do you provide only forensic evidence or do you, are you more involved in these cases? Um, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a thing. Um, sometimes I'm just the, the person who explains something. So for example, National Geographic calls me and they're like, okay, we need somebody to do, to find out if Hitler's skull and teeth are the real Hitler skull and real Hitler's teeth. And then of course, I'm like a little child, you know, like I, I don't assume anything, uh, I, I'm just going. And then once I'm there, I realize that, okay, there's a camera team. We just have four hours and mm. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> so it's like a real case, but that is good for me because then I'm like, okay, you know, another case, like all cases, because when you go out in the forest and there is like a dead 17 year old, you know, person and you have no idea what the police assumes and i don't want to know what the police assumes i have no interest in that i just want to look at the stains the same situation so it's good to be totally unbiased like a kid and then i go out so that happens too and then i do two things at the same time i explain something with one part of mm -hmm. my brain and with the other part of my brain i'm doing the examinations that i know will be useful later on or at that particular moment so that can happen and i talk uh, to offenders if possible. Um, for example, we have a case of a serial killer who killed over three, 300 kids. And I was the only one who like wanted to talk to him. But at mm. the same time, I was the only one whom he wanted to talk to because everybody was like, oh, this person is evil. We don't talk to him. Um, original statement, actual statement from my yeah. colleagues. Since, yeah. this is a, since this is a monster, yeah. this is not in our work description. Our job description doesn't contain talking to monsters. They didn't even want to draw blood from him. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I will talk to him and let, let me just do it. And, and that is very helpful for prevention. Prevention yeah. is the, the best criminalistic thing because then you don't have a crime. If you can prevent the next crime, no okay. victims, no blood, no sperm, no crime, perfect. And nothing comes in isolation. I mean, of course, you have your, your facts that you get at the um, where, where the murder case happened or so, yeah, like from the blood stains or whatever. But obviously, you are dealing with people there, right? And you have to understand a little bit the psychology behind it. I remember one case. This was actually from uh, here from Germany, and this was uh, I, I can't remember so like six seven years ago that um, where I got into a big shit storm on Twitter because there was, um, well, what happened is okay. that a young girl, she came um, home, or at least she claimed to, was traveling in a, in, in a train, wanted to go home. And then she claimed that uh, a few neo-Nazis, so young guys attacked her on, uh, when, when she went out of the train. So, and so she claimed basically that they were basically beating her up and uh, putting her clothes off and then we're cutting a swastika into her. Mm. Yeah, I remember, and yeah. the whole, the whole of, of Germany, they all believed her and it was like first, first days in the press was all oh, this poor girl. And so now we have the rise of the neo-Nazis again in Germany and what horrible people are those. No? But when I read the story or when I saw it on TV, I thought oh, something is wrong. Yeah, this is something is very, very wrong. And so and I looked a little bit into the details. And first, first, what I noticed was that why would guys treat a young girl like this? This is even if they are evil guys, this is so not what, what some neo-Nazis would do. Why would they do that? The th second thing is then 
they showed the police pictures of the alleged uh, the cutting of the swastika into her skin. And what I noticed was it was that perfectly drawn swastika. Yeah? It was perfect. It was and only a little bit going into the skin, not deep, just on the surface, just a little bit, like drawn with a pencil. And I thought, this is just impossible. Like if you have a screaming victim on the floor and you cut it, try to make this <laughs> these fine lines in the skin. It's impossible. Well, Inglourious Bastards, the, the movie where uh, Brad Pitt uh, cuts into somebody's head. It's like, it, it, it's, it's brutal when you see it in real life. It's not, well... In Christoph Waltz's head, let's let's say yeah, Christoph yeah. Waltz, Oscar Prize winning, allegedly German, but he's Austrian, Austrian and all yeah. the Germans want him to be German, but he's not German. He's the international he's persons, guy. he is Austrian, not German. No, but but Axel, the problem is, um, you can you of course you can do it. For example, by pointing a gun to her head and say, if you move one inch, then we are going to kill you. So the thing is, what I do is, if I have a statement, I'm not interested in the statement uh, in stain cases, but Let's say I have the statement like you, I know it from the press or from something that's presented to me, then I will exactly do what you did. I will, I will check if this is mechanically or structurally possible, but I'm not so much referring to the psychological facts. I just want to mm. point out what you did so that people don't think that you are playing psychologist, but what you're doing is you're applying scientific method to, uh, to fact check something. And that is that is a thing in the crime podcasts because now in Germany, since, since Corona started, crime podcasts are exploding. And most of them um, avoid the testing of whatever they may have, a theory, mm -hmm. a hypothesis, an mm -hmm. idea, a statement, whatever you want to call it. And um, that is a scientific method that is normal for us. We would say, well, you, it, I mean, I think it's unlikely. I think it's likely no matter what, but I need to do a test, like you said. <laughs> And the next thing would be, and actually that is done, especially by the people from the Institutes for Legal Medicine. If you have a bruise or a cut, that, is it mechanically possible to produce that bruise or cut? And in many cases, it's not. It's also interesting for suicides that may be homicides or people falling down. Because I'll give you an example. We, that is a case that I have, a bloodstain case. Um, the, uh, the wife of a person, of a, of a husband, of a man, is laying uh, in the in the staircase out you know f fell down the stairs and um, she's cremated and everything goes um, well so far and then the the caretaker of the house the janitor the the you know the manager of the house um, takes some photographs of the blood stains be for the insurance company because everything had to be painted white again so those photographs were then looked at and somebody said Well, that those bloodstains, they don't fit to a person just falling to death on a staircase. So the case ends up with us. And it was found out that she was actually beaten to death with a frying pan. And uh, that looks just completely different compared to falling, fully mm -hmm. smashing into a staircase. And that was it. So the case was, was could very easily be tested. And just for those of you who are not scientists and who are watching the, the program, the thing is, You can, in most cases, in a, in a um, crime novel or a crime movie, you see that the scientist is including effect. For example, taking a cigarette butt, there's DNA, 
and the DNA is the DNA of the offender. But this is not how it works. Mm. In reality, we exclude. We exclude what is not possible. It's the principle of Sherlock Holmes, like very much the, the room that virtually is Axel sitting in, like a Sherlock Holmes room. Only once you have excluded everything that is impossible, technically impossible, not yeah. by thinking, technically impossible by ex doing experiments, only then you know the truth, no matter how likely or unlikely it is. That's from Arthur Conan Doyle. Or Study scientists... Scarlet, brilliant book, the first Exactly, first book. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. <laughs> and scientists know it also as Occam's razor. And yeah. usually in science, it doesn't apply. Occam's razor, meaning cut away everything that's difficult, does not apply because usually we don't know what is difficult and what is not. But in criminalistics, in forensic, natural sciences criminalistics, it works. Yeah. Exclusion, not inclusion. Hmm. Oh, but it's still, but it it still makes your job more difficult. Like if you have then, especially to deal with maybe the the, the press with the public and they have opposing views, right? This was very well exemplified with this girl. Like because at first everyone was believing her, yeah? this poor girl, and until she finally admitted that she cut herself, yeah? and. Um, but that was, of course, not front page news anymore. That was then forgotten. Only you, only you got shit stormed. <laughs> so what, what brutal, what idiot is that? Now this poor girl. But anyway, um, but it, it, it's uh, it's fascinating. But how how did you get into that field in the first place? The guy whom whom you were talking to, our. Our professor Dörfler, your, the, the head of your department, um, he was the only person whom I knew who, who had a medical degree because he was a medical doctor at the genetics department. And um, I, I, I ran into, into him because I gave a speech. He, he was one of the people where you could do, you know, it was in a sense very liberal. It's, it's too difficult to explain now what that meant at that time. So I went, uh, ran into him and told him, um, I would like to do something interesting as a, as a genetics um, internship, not the one that you provide at the university. <laughs> and he was, he would, of course, at that moment, he probably was not very happy, but I'm a little bit autistic. And so, so I didn't realize. So um, he was, he, he was like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, um, I, I have an offer from the Institute for Legal Medicine to learn genetic fingerprints. They, they were discovered by Alec Jeffreys in England in uh, 1984, 1985. That, it, that was when they were published. And he was like, you could see the question marks in his eyes. And he's like, uh, okay, you know, like, because he didn't want to say that he had no idea what this was about. So I'm like, okay, he doesn't hate it. So that's not too bad, but I needed the certification from the university. So I needed one of the professors to talk to the secretary uh, to give me, uh, to allow me to do the internship there. So um, that, that's, how I, that's how I stumbled into it. And um, once I was there, the, the biology department was downstairs because biologists were considered to be second class human beings <laughs> by the medical doctors. So we were, we were down at the, at the old uh, ape stables where, where apes had been living and they were cut and uh, killed with radioactivity and hung and stabbed and bones broken before I came. And then of course, this was not allowed anymore. It was forbidden. So they put uh, us biologists in there, which was very good 
because every it was tiled. The rooms were fully uh, covered in tiles, so we could yeah. clean them very easily. So, so we were happy. None, none, no, no other person wanted to go there, and that was on the same level, basement level, as the corpses. And mm. since I was interested in the animals, I always went over to the corpses and collected the animals. And this is how I got into the field. This is how it happened. Wow, it's so interesting. Well, what I find fascinating, so we have the, we have the saying in Germany, I don't know if it's the same, uh, Daryl, if you have something similar in, in, in the UK, like uh, two idiots, one thought, or two idiots think alike, you know, something yeah, like that. Yeah. Like, because um, you just, Mark, you just mentioned the story with, with, with Walter Dörfler, how you approached him. Like, because for me, it was almost exactly the same, right? So I, I came to him and there was um, another professor, a lady uh, next to him, and she had an open position for a PhD. And so I, I was looking for a position. And so uh, I asked around and, and he said, oh, she has, a, she has an open position. Are you interested in Epstein-Barr viruses? And I said, no, I completely <laughs> don't, I don't like it. I'm not interested <laughs> at all. And that's a, Oh my God! <laughs> I said, "Well, I would like to work with you." And then I proposed what I would like to work on, right? And so I, I, I did not just say, "Hey, what what work can you give me?" I told him, "Look, I would love to work on this topic." And then he said, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> I think that's an interesting thing because in the life of a scientist, that it's highly varied and and. And even your research that you get into, it's not just playing with Gilson's and, and white lab coats. It, it, there's a, a traveling of the world, meeting people, meeting ideas. And it's very, I think it's very fluid in terms of, uh, in terms of a science career, uh, how, you, how you kind of fall into different areas. And it's like you start on this one path and you, you get suddenly dragged into these uh, many different areas. And you, you're right. You know, serendipitous in terms of how you get access and, or, or you fall into a certain area. Um, there's many areas but, I've got, got, gone into that, that I thought, how did I get here? <laughs> you know, um, but what, what I personally, like for, for, the, for the young future scientists out there, so what I find a little bit sad is like in com compared to when Mark and I grew up when we went to university and when we start uh, science the shit out of things. Mm. Universities changed a lot since then. And I, I see this, I have a PhD student uh, in the moment, or Daryl is also her PI. Um, and uh, she has to go through, like, I would say like 60, 70% of her work is not actually work for her PhD. It's just uh, bureaucracy, mm. uh, going through courses, mandatory courses. And it's not really, I wouldn't even describe it as science. It, it's, it's very, it, it's more like school. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Universities, universities change to, to more like a school system. But as a scientist, if you want to really do something that really interests you, that drives you, you have passion, yeah? you, you need to do, you have to be free. Yeah? You mm. have to be thinking, look, no, I, I, I don't want to do this now. I want to do that. And just do it and have the possibility to do it. And this is how great discoveries are made, no? mm. not by sitting in some stupid courses yeah. you have to go through. But also not only the university system changed because of the bachelor and master system that formerly we didn't have in Germany, we had a different system, no, no not bachelor master system. And, um, but also the, 
the students or some of the students changed in a way that they would like for whatever reasons they would like to have a severe career planning and i just had a um, interesting talk with a colleague who also does genetic fingerprints and she wants she is actually an expert already um, but she's relatively young and she she just wants to get a regular job and when that when i asked her why because she's also very passionate about criminalistics and she's going to be stuck in the laboratory as an expert for uh, dna typing only genetic fingerprints only she she was really like at the end after like 10 emails or so she was like i, I say that in german and then afterwards in english she's like mark ich will auch endlich mal ankommen so that was mark i really want to arrive And I mean, we are talking about like a 24-year-old person. She yeah, wants right. to arrive, uh, meaning house, kids, TV sets, and so on. Now, if you are Axel, you can afford this because he, he knows how to make money. But most of the scientists have no idea about that. And the price they do not want to pay, and which I had to pay, and which many of my colleagues also had to pay, is that you, that you just don't have money until you are, let's say, 45 And um, all of my students, all of them, when I, when I tell them, don't ask me what you are going to earn. Don't ask me about your pension plan. Just don't ask me because I'm, gonna th I'm going to throw you out of the training. Ask my assistant. She's, she, <laughs> you know, and then they're like, on the first and second day, they're like, okay. On the first, third day, they're like, okay, he's, a, he's friendly. And then they're like, we have a question. How much do we earn? I'm like, okay, fuck you seriously <laughs> it's <laughs> and and that is also one of the things that change and i have no idea why because after the war for example or in many other situations people totally did rely on on a structured um yeah social and financial environment because probably they just they just didn't believe that there was enough structure in their environment but um that would mean if we take that as a mathematical equation that means that maybe some uncertainty in your life is a good thing and also to to risk not having money for a longer time and um so the the risk taking in a in a positive cre creative scientific way is also um, something that i i personally at least in my trainings that are very sleeves up uh, i haven't seen that for 10 years now no. since 10 years that no, no none of the students no matter how how good they were uh, wanted to take the personal risk or like axel uh, did just to to switch the country to go to the air to, to you know to go into an airplane fly to a different country yeah. and then fly to the next country i'm not saying that this is bad i'm just saying it's not the university well, I, I alone think, i think we, we all have different life journeys obviously mm -hmm. just what, what you mentioned so what i did after the day When I finished my PhD, I remember I was standing in the in the office of, of Walter Dörfler, and um, honestly, I had I had no plan. I had no idea what I will do, where I will go, and then a call came in a colleague of uh, of Professor Dörfler from from Canada, and he said, uh, and he was they were just talking shit, you know, um, and then he was Walter was handing me the the phone. And I was talking then to the, the other professor from Toronto. And he said, oh, like, I'm, I'm interested also in what, what we were working on, on DNA methylation and epigenetics. And I said, yeah, that's, I, I love that. And then he, I got an invitation. The next day I was on a plane to Canada and for 25 years didn't come back to Germany. <laughs> like sometimes... Yeah, 
it's it's just your your journey. You have no idea where you're going. And then... Yeah, but you you have to take that risk. For example, on, since you are mentioning the last day of your PhD, on the last day of my PhD, I I, w I knew that I would go to laboratory in Manhattan because mm. then I, I switched to the Manhattan Laboratory for Forensic Biology at the Institute for Legal Medicine. It's called differently there. It's the Office of Chief Medical Examiner, but you know, and. Um, so I went there, there was a lot of bureaucracy firsthand, so I had to fly back and forth. I didn't have any money. And really, I have to stress that my food came from entering hotels. I, I didn't sleep in hotels. I slept, you know, in like, like shabby, you don't, you don't even want to know. And I ate the remains of what people put in front of their rooms after they had eaten. So yeah. I would roam around in the hotels and get the food. That, so I'm talking about no money. I mean, the real no money, not the industrialized, industrialized country, no money. And I, I didn't even attend my own uh, PhD official official handout of certificates. And I'm not recommending that, but mm -hmm. I'm saying if the, the, the one student that is going to come <laughs> will be my most, <laughs> my most beloved student, just somebody who doesn't give a fuck about, about the social security, um, that is not necessary. Of course, if you have like, for example, the Nobel Prize winner, uh, Hell from Germany, also Hell in Germany means bright, not, not the Hell that you are thinking of, it means bright. So it's a, it's a positive term in German. Uh, and uh, he got a Nobel Prize for electron microscopy. And he went to a company, um, a microscopy company. And the reason was because uh, I think his mother was sick. That's yeah. a different story. If you want to provide for your mother, then, but you can still go to a company that is in your interest, for example, for Axel, Epstein Barr virus? <laughs> no, just kidding. So you you go you go to a company or to an environment that provides social security, but your fire is still burning. And then you like you work after hours. For example, I went to an institute, and the um, the head said, "Okay, Mark, you will be paid for genetic fingerprints, mm. but for half of the day. So you only get half payment, but for the rest of the time." The whole institute is at your, at your disposal. You just don't get any money. Not bad, is it? So you know. Well, that's, I, that's, I, can, I think I think for myself when I, I did I did diabetes research and um, straight away my professor realized he said you're not here in, in for the long run, are you? Just here for the paper. And I said, well, yeah, because I'm I'm really my time here. You'll get 100. You'll get everything that I can give you, um, but. This, this protein that we're working on is great and I love it and it's, it's wonderful. We're doing some really cool research, but I need to do more. I need to, I need to explore more. And so, so for me, it was always going to be more on the commercial side of where, of where genetics and gen what well, was, wasn't really, I think the human genome hadn't been sequenced then, but we were kind of pushing towards that. And I knew that was where my direction is. And I knew this lab would, would take me to a certain level, but commercially I had to go into a commercial uh, aspect of, uh, of, 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 of my industry. And in fact, the, in, the interesting thing is that I had to go from um, a wet lab environment to literally a dry lab environment straight away. And it's kind of moist lab now, but, but it, it was really a kind of baptism of fire. And, and it was luckily that in my early days, I did computing as well. So um, I had this sort of knowledge of, uh, of, of computing and, and programming that I could take that into that career. But I, I had a, an idea of where I wanted to go, but it, it was it was really interesting as a as a scientist at, at, at that time going from going from as a, 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 a potential good university I think it's the number one university in the world now. <laughs> um, which but, one? Which uh, one was it? 
uh, Oxford. <clears throat> but um, <laughs> but uh, the, the, yeah, I don't want to don't embarrass everybody. But the intro, Im, important part of that was that that I, I would be leaving a kind of like safe space, <laughs> using the modern uh, modern university word, um, going into something that that was potentially disastrous because there was no there's no real kind of understand it wasn't bioinformatics then it was computational molecular genetics and kind of like well what does this mean and it's a combination of sort of like some guys in in the in the computer department that never talked to somebody in the biological department and then somehow the physicists got involved and mathematicians got involved who you've got these four horsemen of the apocalypse that don't talk to each other normally that have to basically and it was kind of interesting at that early days of kind of of creating these what are called apps now, but these small programs that did PCR, that did cloning, that did da da da, and then I joined a company that grouped it together into an application, and then from that onwards, it, it kind of exploded. But it's I have a question. Stage. Well, since you remember the times when the human genome was not sequenced, why do you not have a gray beard like Axel? You should have a gray <laughs> well, beard too. I mean, it, it's it's interesting you say that because because. Um, uh, my mother would say, I, I complained that because of lockdown that I can't get my hair cut and uh, I, I'll actually get a picture in a few minutes that I can show you. But uh, and my mother said, like, don't worry, because most of your friends, most of your friends are all gray and have no hair. So it's like, and I, I'm like, I'm still, I'm still like, yeah, thank you very much. Let it grow. Let it grow. It's look, luxuriantly uh, flowing hair, as we call it at the Annals of Improbable Research at Harvard University. Wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find it. I'll, I'll put it on camera. Oh, good gosh. Yeah. But, but um, Axel, maybe, maybe you could say something for the people who watch the show just because of me. Um, since you are also... <laughs> John Lennon. <laughs> Fuck, you're John Lennon. Fantastic. He's, He's not, not dead. dead. It's John Lennon is not dead. That is good news. He's now a geneticist. He's now a nerd. <laughs> it's not. Uh, the, it's uh, do you know the annoying thing is my my professors. I I I this old professor. I used to get we we had some really great times together. I won't go into detail, but we had some really cool times in the, in, in sort of going out and having some and and uh, I met up with him. This is many years ago now. I said, Hey, how's it going? He said. He goes, who the fuck are you? And I went, come on. It's narrowly went, what the hell happened to your hair? <laughs> and, wow. and, and so I, I can literally meet people that I, I was in the labs with back then, and they have no idea who I am until I go, um, until I screw my head back. So yeah, this is, this is the reason why. Very cute, very cute. But Axel, I have a question to you because both of you are interested a little bit in the economic aspect. At least I know it from Axel and, and you just mentioned it, Derek. Um, what would you, what would be a good recommendation for the people who watch the show, for, you know, because they came from my side and I always tell them, don't ask me that. I don't want to talk about money and, and economy and commercial applications and so on. Um, what, what would you two like recommend them so that they own, that they don't just have my opinion on the on the, let, on the topic. Let me just let me just start by this. Like when we when we make recommendations recommendations about things like this, I I always say this to people: Look, go into the casino with the money you want to lose, not what you want to make. So if you're going into the casino with five hundred pounds, five hundred euros, you're going to spend five hundred euros. You're not going to try and make a thousand. It's there for you to enjoy. Don't spend what you can't lose. And, and, and that's using my caveat when we start talking about making investments and things. It's like, don't, don't go crazy. Um, don't, go, don't invest more than you can do. And, and, and treat it like it's a, 
it's extra money that you've got to play with. Now, if you're investing for commercial reasons and in a company, that's different. But if it's individuals that are listening to this, please don't spend what you cannot uh, do. So that's my get out of jail card for what we're going to talk about maybe in the next couple of minutes. Axel, do you want to start? I think, <laughs> no, I think, but I, I'm staying to what I said earlier. Basically, you you have to do what, what's low. your passion, right? And if, if you if you follow your passion, then at some point, not always, not always, but the, the money will follow, right? You can make a living at least from it. You will not be out on the street. And um, so, and, and of course, like this is also part part what we do here on, on the show. Like we want to... Um, get a lot of young scientists into entrepreneurship start your own shit start a company start two companies start three companies and if the first one fails the second one fails maybe the third one will go wow and you just have to try things you have to take mrna look. vaccines mrna vaccines okay it's too late now <laughs> we had we have we had there's uh, money in the MRA vaccines now, so yeah, that's had, the point. We had Ingmar, Ingmar Hör, the founder of CureVac, on the podcast before, yeah. So and he made quite a lot of money with MRN vaccines. <laughs> and I have to explain why this is a little bit funny in the good sense, funny because uh, when mRNA was introduced as something that was therapeutic, then many of the scientists said this is never going to work. mRNA is so unstable, yeah. you know, forget it. D don't like as you would say invest in that or you know put your career uh, on that but now you know times are changing changed. Well, that, that's that's actually a very good lesson is that, that that we also heard from our previous guests from from Ingmar Hörl was he was basically telling the same thing often you have to go against the mainstream mm. I, had, I had the same experience like I was um um I, I was giving a talk at the Max Planck Institute in Freiburg that was like I don't know 15 years ago for a professor position so I was applying for to be a professor at the institute and uh, it failed completely it was a it was a massive disaster because I I, I gave a talk on epigenetics so I have to look, this is a little bit longer so I try to keep it as short as I can <laughs> so on our, on our DNA there there sit small DNA uh, uh, methyl so methylation groups and these methylation groups that can switch our genes on and off depending if they are there or not and this field is called epigenetics or as a subfield of epigenetics and at that time it was it was a very complicated process to measure these methylation groups on dna it took two three days you have to you had to run uh, massive experiments to find out if there's one of these methyl groups sitting somewhere in our genomes with three billion mm. base pairs and it was very complicated and so i told and i thought huh, there must be better ways to do this like to scan the whole genome for these methylation patterns not measure only one but measure ten thousand or a million or a hundred millions at the same time and basically so i I laid this out this that what I wanted to study. You know, this is I said this is uh, this will change the field of epigenetics in the future. And people didn't believe me. They, they thought I'm an idiot. Uh, they, they said it's, it's this this is I remember still what one of the professors said to me, and he was one of the most famous professors in the world. So his what he said that had impact. Yeah? He told me, so what you propose to measure DNA methylation patterns across a whole genome 
This we will not achieve in 50 years from now. This will be impossible. Then I went to Canada. It took me six months to develop this technology. Calm down, calm down, Axel. <laughs> but I didn't get the job. I failed. So no, you did not no, fail. No, no, no. no, no the university have... failed. The yeah, university exactly. failed. Yeah, yeah. That's that's that, Axel. Stop that. You know that. That's no, not... but I failed for the yeah. position. For the positions, so I could. I yeah, could have the... another easy life as a professor at the Max Planck. <laughs> Would you really want oh, yeah. to know that's that? <laughs> but you know what? I have, I have something because I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't have a company. I have nothing. I'm, I just have my job and my cases and I'm happy with that. So that's character, character trait probably. But I do have a lot of tattoos, as you can see here. Yeah, and I that's, wanted to talk that's also, about that. And, yeah. But, that's, yeah. but that, has, that has something to do with your epigenetics thing. Um, because when I was younger and one of my tattoo artists, um, who is also um, an one of the more interesting characters even in the tattoo scene he said you know you know just whilst he was tattooing he was like you know mark um tattoos have have a have an advantage all the companies who will reject you for a tattoo are companies in which you would never be happy because this they, they don't mirror or that they, they your your inner setting so to speak yeah. and the same yeah. is true for that university of freiburg you would have never been happy there because let's say even even if they took you for whatever reason let's say you had been very famous or your your papers had a very high impact factor or whatever then at the end of the day people would have been so narrow-minded for example yeah. during meetings and during bureaucratic uh, proceedings that you would wouldn't have been happy anyways so that it just protected you your vision protected you from entering a narrow-minded uh, university yeah, you're, yeah. You're very right you're very right this, this reminds me of a very famous quote from Groucho Marx who said that I refuse to join any club that <laughs> take people like me <laughs> that was very true. Yeah, he was a smart guy. Yeah, yeah, he was a smart guy. But back to your tattoo. So obviously, Mark, you are not necessarily the the most average mainstream scientist out there. Like, to be honest, maybe you are inside. Deep, deep who knows? Inside. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. But um, and I, I when 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 we were at the university and even later oh, oh my god we, we had yet another history also together we, we independently um we started publishing comic books so that was and we ran into each other then at some uh, like in the us it's more something similar like comic con so we, we we ran a couple of times there uh, into each other because it was our artists. So I was working with artists from um, from Russia, and you were with one from Michel Hutter. So he's from Cologne. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And all the art, the 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 art that you see in this room here, and yeah, we probably probably can see it. But this is all from the comic, the, the from the comic artist. Uh, this is all art for him. So my whole uh, bureau here, <laughs> my office, <laughs> it's plastered with his oil paintings. Yes. Yeah. It's it's it, but it's 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 fascinating because it's um, where we are. What I said before, like two idiots think alike. Like this is, this is so. It, Great minds think nothing, the same. It has <laughs> nothing to do. I mean, literally nothing to do with what we studied or anything like that. Uh, and yet we did basically exactly the yeah. same stuff. And it I ended up years later, the exact, exact same event was doing something completely different. 
And yeah. this is this is amazing. This is very amazing. Yeah. But you don't you don't have any tattoos though, Axel, do you? Not yet, but and, and neither do I. So no, I, I read I was <laughs> no like for, for the for the for the people out there. And I, I may I may put a few links down here after um, to the to the video. So Mark published how many books did you publish? Do you know? The last time somebody counted was 21, but I think that was also Korean edition, Russian edition, Romanian edition. So, so therefore, I don't know. You wrote, you wrote a lot of books. That's, that's a fact, right? And I, I remember like scanning through your books and uh, I read actually quite a lot of them because my mother, who lived still in Cologne and she loves you so much, yeah, she, she always went- <laughs> Hello, Axel's mother. When, whenever there was a new, when Mark published a new book, she would buy it and send it to me. <laughs> so I, I read at least 10 of your books. So. And one, nice. one, one, one stuck because I'm writing a book in the moment about uh, human sexuality and dating. So that I, I call it the science of dating. And, and you wrote in one uh, about it, People with tattoos, they get more sex, right? So obviously I'm getting interested in it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an interesting, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting bridge to science uh, again, because um, that's, I have a radio show on uh, public nationwide radio, um, which was a thing before internet fully bloomed. And I do this for 20 years now, every Saturday morning. Today is also Saturday. So I did the show also um, today in the morning. And it's also a podcast now. It's the oldest science podcast in Germany. And it's, uh, it's interesting that all these little funny, amazing facts um, are really appreciated by normal people. This is a radio station mm -hmm. for just normal people. And it came out of the, I already mentioned the Ig Nobel Prizes at Harvard University, where our, our basic slogan is first exclude everything and then whatever remains must be the truth, no matter how improbable it is. So that's mm -hmm. annals of improbable research. And um, it's, uh, I was surprised if you use a plain language, you must at all cost avoid any technical term, including mm -hmm. microscope, I say a magnification device or molecule. I just say it's a part of whatever's in here. So mm. I really make it simple. And this does work. You can draw huge audiences who are not interested. But once you say, for example, like you said, that's also the title of the book, uh, why, si uh, why uh, tattooed people have more sex? Because the, the, the spin, the twist is that they do have more sex because uh, people who have tattoos try out new things. And once you try out new things, you meet different people and then you, the probability is higher to have more sex, but the sex is not better. So you have more sex, but not better sex. And at that moment, everybody who does not have a tattoo in the audience is like, oh, good God, that is good <laughs> to hear. So no tattoos needed, you know, but then you can say, well, it depends on what you want. What do you want, better sex or more sex? And then you catch people exactly where they are. And then they're like, huh, good question. And you can do that with any topic. Today in the morning, I was talking about the difference between the spatial um, learning uh, between sheep and goats, uh, which sounds like, very plain, you know, also no Nobel Prize material there. But I was surprised because it is what's published in a very high ranking journal. And so I looked a little bit deeper, did the show. And then I thought like, wait a second, there's an old paper by um, an old natural scientist 
who wrote that sheep are stupid. So this sheds mm. a totally different light on sheep are not stupid, uh, but they have different spatial needs depending on what they feed from because they feed wherever they stand. But goats have to run around to find their food. So of course they need more spatial orientation and more spatial learning tasks. So, so the sheep are just like saving energy because it's not a matter of domestication because goats and sheep were, sheep were domesticated at the same time. It's not mm. a domestication problem. It's just that their real DNA, not the so to speak DNA that is used in modern language now, uh, in, in modern parlor, um, but it's uh, it's the real DNA that that just helps them saving energy that, because spatial tasks are relatively unnecessary for them. So you always catch people. And also one more thing that just comes up, um, since you were mentioning Groucho Marx, in um, in the United States, most people think that the funny glasses with the mustache and um, the, the big nose in the United States, they're called Groucho glasses after Groucho Marx because you know it is attributed to him. Yeah. But I looked up something else, digging deeper because everything comes from Europe, obviously, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, there must've been somebody before Groucho Marx using them. Wikipedia was empty. So I looked it up and in old catalogs about carnival, selling carnival items, I found Groucho glasses, but that was before Groucho Marx was even born. So I'm like, aha, let's set up a Wikipedia entry. And now we are back to epigenetics, University of Freiburg and so on. Mm. So I wrote the entry in the German Wikipedia. It was in the English Wikipedia, but not the German one about, here comes a beautiful German word, Scherzbrillen. Scherzbrillen. That means funny glasses, Groucho glasses, Scherzbrillen. So I wrote the, so I, I opened this up, Scherzbrillen, and then the, uh, the administrator said, let's delete this. This is a nonsense topic. Nobody on planet Earth is interested in, in funny glasses. I'm like, whoa, wait a second. This is something that is cultural. And shortly before it was deleted, many people contributed to the article and now it's a proper article. But that's the same thing. It's not dangerous. Mm. It's not about money, but it's mm. If this would have been deleted, then obviously I would have been fucked off. And I would have mm. probably said, you know what, Wikipedia, I edited like, I don't know, 5,000 entries. But if you are not capable of including the Groucho glasses in the German Wikipedia, then, you know, really, I'm not interested anymore. I, I was thinking, so I thought you're so busy. You're such a busy guy, you're schedule, and then you have time for Wikipedia articles about funny glasses. Something very important. <laughs> No, oh, you know, and that's the thing. That's the thing. For me, nothing is important or everything is equally important. That's the difference probably because you have goals like business goals, career goals, scientific goals. No, no, goals. no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm doing also, I'm doing way too many different things. I should focus much more. Like I'm oh, writing comic books. books. I have a company. I'm doing a podcast. I do this. I do that. Axel, how, how did the comic book thing end? Are you, are you still a comic aficionado and have a huge library or how, how did I it have, end? To, to be honest, I don't have time. I would I would love to to do another comic book someday. But maybe when you are when you are even older and even more gray, then probably you know, for well, the last is... five years of your life, you can go back to comic books. Well, that that's still far 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 ahead because I'm I'm doing a lot of aging research and I have the plan. <laughs> I will I will definitely live long not... enough to live forever. Is that what it is? No, not <laughs> no, no, no. I don't want to live forever, but I will def definitely. I will not go before 150. So prove it, prove it, Axel. Yeah, <laughs> prove it. Talk, 
let's talk in around 100 and uh, something. In his wheelchair, we'll, we'll, we'll get you 149. <laughs> in, in England, we, in England and, and India and, and, and any other cricket nation around the world, uh, we always think that if you if you actually get out at 99, it's a real bad thing. <laughs> and you, you can just imagine just setting up for the wicket, waiting for this Guys, one I, more run to make your century and dying I, at 99. It's, it's not that I'm that I'm into aging research, uh, longevity research, but it's, it, I'm even predisposed. We have uh, my grand-grandmother on my mother's side. She, she was 100 years old. I'm, there's another thing we can talk about. Like, I'm, I'm, like you, I'm... Um, uh, part of a political party and um, I'm, I'm in the humanist party and uh, not so fun to go into much detail there, but but you are in a party too right in, uh, in Germany so you, you have even a high position right I'm yes I'm the leader of the largest uh, county or whatever you want a state or depending on which country you are you're referring to it's called North Rhine-Westphalia North Rhine-Westfalen and uh, yes, I'm the leader, and my leadership is that I just um, I let every everyone do whatever they want to do. That's yeah, all I do. So, so you're not you're not only part of a party. You are you are from the party, right? Exactly. In in Germany, that's a joke because if you spell it out, it it's the the name of the party is the party, and. Uh, the, we are by now we are in the European Parliament in uh, dozens of city parliaments in the state or you know depending on county parliaments but um, I don't go because next we have an election for the national election and they wanted to put me because I'm a scientist and science is sexy now because of climate change and so on and they're like we put you on number one position I'm like eh, but what do you think how many people are we going to get into the national parliament and then they said a number and I'm like okay put me one below please because I'm, it's, it would kill me it would totally kill me I hate I mean, you have to do it being also business people and uh, working in university environments and so on. But what I totally hate is this uh, uh, talking round table things. And very often nothing comes out or it's just to um, show power or, or I don't know. I'm too artistic for this. I, I just can't do the, so, the social thing that is going on. I just want to have the facts straight out and you couldn't do that over email. And uh, the same is true with politics. I really don't understand. In Germany, we, we have um, a scientist as chancellor, Angela Merkel, Dr. Angela Merkel, and she, uh, she did her PhD in one of the, in my opinion, in one of the most complicated topics in natural sciences, in physical chemistry. It's really, really a nasty topic, in my opinion, very complicated. And um, in the last days, because you are probably not interested in German politics, most of you uh, out there who are watching this, but she really, really... We, we all were like pitiful against her because she's surrounded by, in our natural sciences opinion, by clowns. She knows that you can calculate what is going to happen next. And this is proven by computer simulations that are proven to be, to be correct during the past year. So mm. the predictions were correct enough to, you know, for example, we all knew that there would be a third wave, a third corona wave by comparing it to the last big pandemia after World War I and so on. And she knows it too. And she's just surrounded by people who are talking about power and social things. 
and this would drive me mad. So um, in our party, I'm always the person who's just singing songs with everybody and gi giving away. I, I always give away peep, uh, things that are sparkly and, and pink. So pink, sparkly things, that's my big thing. And everybody is happy. Uh, or beer is also taken, or calculators. That's also a nice thing. We have a one euro shop where you can buy calculators, like pocket calculators. You would think that nobody needs them anymore because you have a, a cell phone. Um, but pocket calculators are a big thing. So if you, you know, if, if you want to be friends, friendly with people, or also, um, since you were talking about sex and dating, um, handcuffs with, with pink plush, you know, that you can use in a friendly way for BDSM plays, that people love them. One euro, you know, you buy like 100 of them and everybody, everybody likes them. So I'm a little bit more of the politician who's just giving away things and having fun. In, in, in Germany, you have uh, PR, don't you? Proportional representation for, um, uh, for, for parties, don't you? So uh, what, what, is, what is that? It's basically you have a, it's not first past the post like it is here in the UK. So in the UK, if you get more votes, you win, you win and, and you, you take the, the majority. And yeah, that yeah, yeah. In Germany, you have like 20 or 30 parties that, that are in parliament, basically. Uh, by now, no, not so. Yeah, it depends oh. on which parliament. But uh, in the national parliament, it may, because we have a 5% um, uh, threshold so you have to come over the five percent threshold but in local in local parliaments uh, it could happen yeah i would say 10 10 ish okay yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. but maybe I think, you have to I, think, I think that's the same in the uk Lo local parliaments local council elections there's there's more selections i think uh, green parties and things like that but in our national party i think there's only one green mp um and that and then it's scottish nationals and Labour, Conservative, Liberals. Yeah, you can sometimes have very small parties if they if they get over a certain threshold. Sometimes three uh, percent for the European Parliament it was lifted. Mm -hmm. But um, for example, uh, there are many animal protection and vegan and uh, parties, but also sometimes esoteric. The most famous is the one they were called in in uh, English uh, the um, yoga flyers. So it has something to do with flying and yoga and um, or, or, or just dealing dealing with elderly people and they sometimes they can make it over the threshold and but they are only exclusively in local uh, local parliaments but they can be very good politicians sometimes because sometimes the majority depends on their vote yeah so everybody yeah. is super friendly to them and really treats them extremely respectful <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, which is very funny to see once you see that live because you know how they talk about these people uh, behind closed doors but once the doors open they are really it's just like pie and cream and and sparkles yeah main thing is we get more scientists into and into the whole political things like less fewer clowns more scientists yeah, it's difficult just... axel it's difficult you also you you would you would probably also you would melt down there <laughs> probably I, I know that's 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 why i'm not running uh, for to be the successor of angela merkel that's all <laughs> but, but that's a problem sometimes isn't it that 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 if you don't do it and nobody else does it and then you complain about politics it's one of those things it's like a vicious circle like Exactly. It needs to be done. Who's going to do it? And, blah, 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 blah. and it's like exactly, well, exactly. 
Yeah, uh, exactly. So this is why what I'm trying is I, I use the, the let's call it Boris Johnson uh, method. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm just I'm just unpredictably wild and and people think friendly, which is not necessarily true, and uh, not as random as he as he was, uh, but um, or is, but but still and. Um, and also not not the clown like thing that that yeah. people uh, think that that Johnson does, but um, this really works because then people can relate to you. For example, giving away nonsense items like a pocket calculator. I mean, it's obvious for everybody that it's useless since, like I said, you have a cellular phone. But at least they can relate to you, and they're like, okay, scientist, pocket calculator, giving something to me. Probably in the parliament, he's going to do the right thing because yeah. every time I ask people. I promise you, whatever you tell me now, what your wish is, I will, you know, uh, stand up for your wish. Just mm. give me one wish. And then the most surprising thing happens. Most people are like, uh, well, you know, to be honest, I'm sitting here at this tree on a bench every day and my feet get wet because the water drainage is, is not so good. And I'm like, that's it. That is your one wish that you would like me to bring into the parliament. And then they're like, to be honest, yes, because that's the most important thing for me in everyday life. Mm. And um, to make people honestly state what they really want, even if it sounds completely irrelevant, needs them to relate to you somehow. Mm. Mm. And so, so that's what I could recommend. And over that allows you to get some influence not necessarily by sitting in the actual political conference but by talking to the politicians because many mm -hmm. times they would just ask me for advice it's not yeah. that they that they do whatever i advise of course but at least they listen to me so for scientists i would recommend that be relatable to yeah. everybody and if they ask you give advice but do never be disappointed if this is not going to be used so that's so what in one ear and out the other. <laughs> Usually it will not. But Mark, let's come back to the science stuff because people are interested in, in, in what, what you actually did. I remember like this is already, it must be at least 15, almost 20 years ago. I think you got first famous in Germany because you were dealing with all these little insects in uh, uh, murder victims. So there was, I think, one case that was a very uh, got into the public, where you were involved, and in. can maybe you can explain how how that started all. With yeah, the... yeah, that was already an interesting case uh, because it has uh, several layers. So I mentioned that we have a different legal system compared to United States, Australia, United Kingdom, and so on. But um, is Australia part of the United Kingdom? Probably yes. So, <laughs> so <laughs> how about Scotland? Is Scotland still part of? <laughs> Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's it. You're that's you done for Australia now. <laughs> now we have all the Australians switching off. So. <laughs> the, 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 the Scottish the, people. Even saying the queen, the queen is the head of state of Scotland uh, uh, of Australia, but uh, it's it's <laughs> it's a separate country basically. It's completely 
We have the well, Commonwealth. Falling... Of, we have the Commonwealth of countries, which um... no, no worries. Since Megan, they are falling apart slowly, anyways. Now, so. oh, no worries. Huh? I, I have a mem- I have a memorial cup of of uh, Megan of the marriage which I bought in London, gold plated, very beautiful. One day this is this is going to uh, pay for my pension plan. And not a, <laughs> this it will be that cup from London, from the marriage yes. from the runner. Okay, anyways, so the first case that came in was a case in the Roman law system, the German system, uh, old fashioned, no juries, really different system, and the. A DA's office or the prosecution's office, DA is district attorney or prosecution's office, and the judge, they decided um, to, to just show me some maggots because two children were killed. And um, the problem was that this was one of the very rare cases in Germany, unlike in other countries, this usually doesn't happen. The case was uh, supposed to be reopened. In other countries, in Anglo-American countries, it happens uh, it may happen. They also have innocence projects where you where you can go to a project and they will see if you are innocent or not by looking at stains, not by thinking. And um, this doesn't exist. All of this doesn't exist in Germany. So they gave it to me. And the interesting thing was that um, it was only done because this was it was a reopening, and they they really wanted to make sure that nothing goes wrong during the reopening. And another case. Um, similar uh, to this case, when I was working in Manhattan already, was a priest, a, a Protestant priest, who killed his wife. And that the maggots that that we use to determine how long the person has been, the dead person has been laying there open to insect activity. For mm. example, insects that lay their eggs or insects that just hide under the corpse, whatever for whatever reason. Um, that was only sent to me actually in a plane that has only the pilots and a little bit crew and the maggots. So those were the times when you could still send a complete airplane over the ocean just for some maggots to uh, where I was working at that point. And that was only given to me because the DA's office, in the DA's office again, was somebody who was directly related to the murder, to the killed or to the dead, let's say the dead woman. Mm. So um, what you can already see is that once in a while you get a case, but I wouldn't say out of the wrong reasons, but out of reasons that are structural. And I don't like that. So 99.9% of the cases that I get are cases, like I said, that people don't believe in or they find strange or unusual or you know, not, not relevant. And the maggots are good because this uh, the, the public attention, I didn't know that in the beginning. I thought it was normal to look at maggots on corpses. Like I said, I worked with animals before. And so I just looked at the animals on corpses, but it caught the public eye and um, that it was not really helpful. That, that would be uh, too much of a statement, but it's good because people understand that stains contain actual information and thinking or a witness's statement is nothing. A mm. witness may, th- you know, you you know all the illusions about color. There are a lot of color illusions in the internet. Everybody falls for them. Like for example, you have a pink spot that becomes blue. Th- this happens after like six or seven seconds. It it happens to everybody, and mm. it's just a color illusion. So forget witnesses' statements. Forget logic thinking. Forget common sense. Common mm. sense doesn't exist. Sense doesn't exist, <laughs> but common sense doesn't exist. So, so the maggots are a good example of something that you can measure and that somebody else c- 
can reevaluate. So it's mm. not like you don't have to believe me. I give you my evidence and you give it to somebody else, no problem. And uh, facts are facts. So, uh, like it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't boil it down to, uh, to natural laws. That's maybe too far-fetched, but things that can be measured will, apart from quantum physics or something, but will lead to the same result in, on, on, no matter where, where you give it to. And that um, really changed something in Germany because now whenever it comes to measuring, at least people ask me, is this something that can be measured? And in most cases it can. It can be measured. And before everybody relied on the witness statement, like I said, common sense, or um, what was also very dangerous is a, a chain of um, clear cut evidence, but the chain is just a loose chain. The chain is okay. The chain works. So, so you have like witness statements, evidence, logic thinking, it, it all intertwines beautifully, but to stay in a picture, where where is the hook to which you attach that chain of logical thinking and yeah. everything and um, that's one of the things i could push through a little bit D due to maggots also blood blood stain patterns are something that people are interested in and that's also an easy thing you have a lot of emotions killing mm -hmm. husbands children you know <laughs> hate love everything and you're like okay i get it but let's look at the angle of impact of the blood stains, and then let's work the whole case from that perspective. Mm. And often people are relieved because it, it takes out a lot of steam mm. for everybody. So I, I, I really like to boil it down to those stains, yeah. How, how do you think genomics is, is impacting this or genetics? Because for, for myself, I've been involved in some cases to do with the 9-11 victims and, and even Srebrenica. Uh, massacre and and, and a, a lot of those cases have been mass fatality identifications which is which is when actually when i was talking to you i was like this is gonna be something really cool we can chat about because because for me it was it was a it was a real kind of under, it, it, it's all those areas where you it, I, it's like pediatric cancers that, 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 that you need to do these things but um you, it can take you into some really dark places in in your mind and and and, and it actually human uh, how dark some people can be in terms of how they go concealing or how to uh, the lengths of things that happened in Srebrenica are, are, are still haunt me now. But, um, but it's interesting that how genomics in my life was, was at this point where I, I realized that we could actually identify, give closure, um, give an understanding, get a conviction at some, or at least present evidence as well. Um, to people that were, were were either long dead or or we needed to actually get some closure for these particular individuals or and 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 it was a it was a difficult but really it, the way I describe it to to my family it was a beautiful time in the sense that, that it was it was it, it was absolutely horrible in terms of where we went in terms of my own personal journey in genomics and and, and lab work basically but. It was the it was the actual discovery and, and, and getting closure on on cases that were quite literally bits of tissue, bits of even bits of uh, of, of of clothing. It wasn't sort of blown blood or things like that. And and we could identify to individuals that uh, that exist now. We could do simple 
chemical tests and chemical simple genomic uh, analysis. And, and, and that's the, um, the amounts of DNA that, that we need come smaller and smaller and, and the protocols, we can identify even more. So these small samples that we find, we can actually link in and make some really interesting pictures. As you say, like you can roll back and you can kind of work out oh, what happened here. And I kind of watch the bones and the Kathy Wright things and what you're talking about, uh, NCIS things in the USA. And it's kind of like a concatenation of many things. And I, I kind of do that on a, on a genetic level, on a genomic level, of kind of working out exactly what happened uh, in situ. And it's like piecing together what, okay, there's a bit of D that person's DNA over here and there's a bit of DNA here. So how did that get to there? And, and, and you're using things like satellite images to look down at, at particular areas to get sort of information about this. And it's, it's kind of a really fascinating journey. Uh, and on, 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 the, on the software side of things, it's, it's actually then, okay, we have these, uh, this wet lab kind of environment that we've got all this data for. How do we then do this in silico? How do we actually put this in the dry lab? How can we actually design solutions that can aid science, can aid understanding? And, and I think you're absolutely right. Trying to make that, that understanding of, of the, the multiple bits of, of data, the multiple bits of science and mathematics, the movement, the everything into a simple form. I think that's art of what we need to do. And, and I've said about this idea of, 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 of science and art and how uh, I, I talk about one story where I saw a, a mathematician and an artist in a gallery in, in, in Chicago. And I was just watching them uh, one time and they were talking and one was talking about the, the colors and the, the abstract nature of the art. And the, and this, the mathematician was talking about the, the, the math behind this. And I was just watching them and it was, it was just fascinating to see the, these two polar opposites talking about the same thing, but in different concepts. And, and that kind of, um, it kind of, it, it resonated with me very much in terms of what I was doing at that time. Yeah, the, I, I was actually sworn in and certified and sworn in in Germany exactly on 9-11, on the very wow. day. I found out only a few days, uh, a few months ago or a year ago or so. And um, I worked in the laboratory that, that received all the stains from 9-11 before. So I went after, after it happened, I directly went, you got very cheap flights <laughs> because nobody was two weeks after, two weeks when the, when the thousand and nine was there. Two yeah, weeks or, or, yeah, or a week yeah. after. And um, the problem was that the whole city was full of um, like yeah uh, photos that were done on inkjet paper at that point, so they got humid, and you got these horribly disfigured photographs, so to speak. Yeah. And also, people started to put little candles in front of the Institute for Legal Medicine and Bellevue Hospital, where the entrance was for the for those bits and pieces. And um, my, I mean, we were we were all used. We had huge piles of sexual mm -hmm. assaults, especially in the laboratory. We, so we were like, okay, I was not working at that point anymore, but I flew over. So I took out all uh, the colleagues who wanted to go um, to to get a drink. You mm -hmm. remember, sometimes it's necessary just to, to see something else, and to, so I was like, okay, I buy the drinks for the for the whole evening. And um, at that point, um, strawberry margaritas were a thing. The younger ones won't remember. This is like super crushed ice with, I don't know, vodka and, and strawberries or something. So it's reddish. And the problem was uh, once, once they were served, 
um, all my colleagues, except of me, were like, oh, and you saw that tears were coming up, which never happened in the laboratory. I've never seen that in my whole life, except in one case uh, with a child killer who, who killed a lot of children. But that was only one person who, who had children on her own. Mm. But I've never seen tears ever in my whole life, nowhere on this planet in, in our environment. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, the second time was during the crisis in the United States, the fentanyl crisis, because mm. all of the people are dying. The toxicology guy, guy cried. Yeah, but that was the only two. So, so I went and then the margaritas came and everybody was uh, a little off. And they told me, you know, the problem is that most of the stains that we get are really it's, it's a meshed, smashed human beings like broken down to to the pulp uh, that our strawberry margaritas looks like so we switched the drinks and um my like you were mentioning um my strategy is to be completely open to the emotions even from relatives because yeah. that was a big problem at the mass graves yeah, um, yeah. that usually my colleagues from germany they would only look at the dna or at the clothing which yeah. would be identified by the people but i think in our laboratory we are so open to everything that it's if feng shui would exist it would be like such a feng shui thing we we have the huge hole in our body hmm. don't worry you can throw all of your emotions on us and even our own emotions are allowed to pop up hmm. but they they just have to fl float through you like like through the feng shui hole and um the people who who don't get, get over it or who get severely traumatized are the persons who who can't let it float back and forth and sometimes mm -hmm. out or sometimes it will float into your mind and or sometimes it somatizes you know you get like mm -hmm. a rash a, a silly skin rash or something but um we we managed to to work through that so now we are open we are not afraid of the emotions of anybody and um that's something that as a scientist was unusual because i thought yeah, that every, yeah. everybody can do that but most people can't if mm. you're a social worker they just they just break into pieces over a mass grave because they mm. imagine out of their personality what happened to the people or i have a yeah. lot of literature on auschwitz and um, uh, uh, my next training will be on genocides but uh, my wife was like I don't know, because uh, probably you traumatize uh, people because the young students have no idea what you're talking about, especially Auschwitz-Birkenau. Mm. That's for them. It's something from a song or, or from one of the news um, movies uh, or series that are shown, but it's nothing that they can directly relate to anymore. But um, that would be um, something that I would like to add to what you were saying. Mm. If you can't if you can't deal with the emotions in a way that you think is something that will lead to a better understanding of whatever you're interested in, mankind, sociology, <laughs> science, then you better don't enter in those, like you were saying, into these dark, very dark areas that surround us. They yeah, yeah. totally surround us. But if you can't deal with it, just switch on the light first <laughs> there's there's some beauty in, in finding these things though i found i mean in some of those dark areas it, there's some amazing light as well um it, there really is it, and and I, again i i come back to things like uh pediatric cancer where it where it where i've spoken to people in the, in that in that area and and it's like i get the same the same feelings in, in in the way that they have to do these because it's an important part and they get some real positive light out of these 
these horrific situations and, and I, I think I'm the same I think it's it, it's it's the actual discovery the actual finding the actual you know making sure that we've got you you've got these areas and, and, and covered and, and emotions yeah you you have them and <laughs> but uh, dealing with this is important yeah yeah and not and not push it because most people ask me how can you learn to not feel the yeah. the pain anymore and I'm like I totally feel the pain. That's that's the whole secret. But I'm I'm just not focusing on it. I'm yeah, yeah. focusing on science and stains yeah. because I know that this is helpful for everybody else. And if everybody is just focusing on uh, on the sociological part or on the emotional part, then nothing is going ever to be happening in the trial because it's that, that's one of the things that probably Absolutely. even older people don't know. The whole transcripts of the Auschwitz trial, which was in the 1960s in Frankfurt. Uh, the, the financial capital district of Europe now since London isn't anymore. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I'm just fucking right. Uh, Frankfurt am mine. Um, and you, you, can, you can listen to this, but uh, this is in German, in German text. And mm. it's super interesting because currently I'm listening to the statements of the offenders and the offenders make a very good point out of um, the fact that many of them actually did, did not have a choice because um, last year or the year before, there was still a trial to the last person working in, in the concentration camp in Auschwitz. And he was accused and also sentenced to helping 300,000 homicides. And he didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. And everybody was like, you are the last man standing. Why don't you give us a statement and give us some insight into what you did and why you did it? And now, since I listened to the uh, to the 1960s um, well statements of the of the witnesses, not all of them were accused. Um, I understand because out of that out of the time for them, the homicides were a problem, or the killing of of all those people were a problem that you could solve with alcohol. Hmm. They were just starting to drink at eight in the morning. And that problem was solved. Their main problem, and I did not know that until a few days ago, was they knew that everybody was going to be killed who was a witness of the, of the burning and uh, killing of all these people. So all of those people who ended up there um, were convinced that they were going to be killed after the war. And I'm talking about the SS people now, mm -hmm. in case the war gets lost, or maybe even if the war was won. Did anybody ever think of that? Because in Germany, you cannot say that loudly. You don't yeah. just enter a Twitter shitstorm like Axel did. You probably have some stones into, in, in your window. But I, I do understand the problem. If you think you are going to be killed and you are yeah. drunk all the time, then the mass homicide is probably the fifth mm. on your list of problems. And number one and four are different problems. And so... Yeah. Therefore, um, it, it's, it's good to be open, even, even if, you, if you dislike all of that and if you find it disgusting and if you think it's all lying, the stronger your reaction is, the more likely it is that you are wrong, that, that you are just reacting emotionally to something that is presented to you and your emotional system is just jumping out of cultural or social reasons on it and you're like, I'm the good person, la 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 la, I am good. And they are bad, and so, and this is probably just something that you that 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 you just learned. So, um, but do you do you get? Then, I can't I can't disagree with that. But, but do you get a form still a form of um, how to describe it? 
of joy out of solving a case and and by doing this even lowering the pain for for people or is it this is just no no uh, really because i because i do work with the relatives a lot because they're, they're just sitting here in the room you know we just give them a coffee and uh, we talk to them and the cases uh, at least the cases that i get but this relates probably also to mass uh, mass graves and and many other situations but it could also be just one i give you an example um the the grandparents of a family are here and they don't care so much about their stepson and actual daughter but more about the child the, the you know the grand uh, kid and the father the stepson uh, most likely killed the kid, but no corpse was found. You know, just like you heard before, and it, it gives people closure uh, if you if you deal with the DNA of mass graves. And in those cases, you cannot give them anything because you don't have stains. You have a lot of lies, like so-called private detectives. I mean, there are good private detectives, but also a lot of fake private detectives. They just steal the money from those people. Mm. And um, the the only thing you can do is work on prevention and public awareness of how not to deal with fake private de detectives, how to accept that you will never find the corpse because especially small kids, they, they just decompose in a forest, they decompose so rapidly or just one wild boar or you know, a, a, a curious fox. They don't eat uh, corpses usually, but, but you know sometimes they drag along arms or, or clothing or something like that. Then the corpse is just gone and you're never going to find it again. So um, no. No joy there, but but I I love to 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 have a good reason, and this is a good reason, of course, to deal with um, scientific facts in depth. So mm, actually, it's yeah. just an excuse for being Asperger spectrum person. <laughs> so you know, when you do that in school, then everybody's like, "Hello, Mark." We, something else is going on, you know, don't focus on, on your staples. I'm like, yeah, but my staples are super interesting right now, you know. <laughs> well, that, that, and, but now I have an excuse. Understand. I mean, as, as, a, as a geek, I can completely understand it. Did you ever have to deal with um, a case where uh, identical twins were accused of a crime? Yes, and I have to, I, I'm sorry, I have to finish with that, but it's a good, it's a good finish probably because I'm coming back to University of Cologne um, because I have like a, an Instagram thing because of the stains allegedly in <laughs> cotton swabs and other things relating to, to Corona. Um, yes, um, at the University of Cologne, we did exactly the thing that we were all talking about a little bit during our talk. Um, one of the guys from immunology uh, genetic immunology and one of the guys from the genetic departments they because i was always running back and forth because uh, i did not know how to do pcr perfectly you know in the beginning there were a lot of variables there and the people in the genetics department of course they they knew their pcr especially contamination another professor which we did not mention here who was also very interested in um, national socialism problems because of his father was a judge during national um uh, socialism was uh, Benno Müller Hill and his, his father, he, 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 uh, he was the one who discovered the Lack Operon, but yeah. never got a Nobel Prize. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he was he not was happy. Pissed about that, yeah. yeah. He was not happy. And um, so um, we, the, since I was running back and forth, just between the departments, being a naive 
science kid, so to speak, or students, they were like, oh, this Mark, he's, he's so nice, you know, just coming from zoology department. And he has no idea about the whole genetics thing, like in depth, but we'll show him, he's cute. And um, then they came over to me after a while I said, you know, you know about criminalistics, how about monozygotic twins, identical twins. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, that is a problem because all of the monozygotic twins know that they just have to accuse each other and then there's no case usually. And um, so one of the guys said, well, um, from Professor Radbruch, who is, who is now director of a, of a whole institute, not a university institute, but something else like Max Planck or Leibniz Institute. And he, um, he uh, said, well, you could look at the immune cells because immune cells on the DNA level are different between mm. monozygotic identical twins. You just need a cell sorter and look at the DNA. Like you said, Axel, just look at the DNA, <laughs> just do it. So we were presenting that. This is the first paper ever written about um, discrimination of monozygotic twins in a criminalistic sense. And we presented it and everybody at the meeting was like, wow, that sounds really cool, but it's not feasible, <laughs> <laughs> cannot be done. So the same story there. The paper is still in the internet. You can find it. it's like, you know, proceedings of the International Academy of Legal Medicine. Yes. But, but again, by coincidence, we had, when I was at, uh, when I was working at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto, I did my postdoc there. We had a very similar thing happening uh, over there. There was a murder case in Canada where two identical twins were both saying, yeah, it was the other guy. <laughs> They, so there was a typical like a rape case and then the, the, the poor girl was then killed afterwards. And uh, the idea was that people thought, the police thought they, they were probably knew about each other and they were just finding an alibi. You know? And I was at that time working on exactly solving this problem with again, this epigenetics. Like I, I developed a method where I could differentiate even two identical twins. So they have different DNA methylation patterns on their DNA. So I told the police basically, look, I can, if, if I get a blood sample, I can exactly say who was it and who wasn't it. But I didn't want to know. They said it's too complicated and it's cause yeah. it takes years to prove that this really works and so on. So that it was never really followed up. This is why you should work more with maggots and bloodstains because that's something that people can relate to. And once they know <laughs> there's something relatable, then they will also ask you about monozygotic twins. Guys, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I, mean, I mean the real sorry, not the polite yeah. sorry. I'm, I'm like- yeah. Thank you so much. It was yeah, so fantastic talking to you. Um, we, have to, uh, we have to go on with this sometime. Let's... Yeah, we do part two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, someday we'll to, to, uh, do part two. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mark. Some final Thank words for, for young scientists. Do you think forensic biology is a good field to enter? Not if you are interested in a pension plan, a family, cars, um, funding a company or anything that your two <laughs> beloved hosts of, the, <laughs> of this podcast uh, recommend to you. If, if you. if you want to be like our two hosts here, do not under any circumstances <laughs> enter forensics. <laughs> Great. Cheers, guys. Thank you so much. Take care. Yes, <laughs> Hey, it 
It's you again. Oh, come on. Oh. The podcast is over. I mean, really, come on. Everyone's gone. Everyone's going to bed. I want to go to bed. Let me switch this off. I mean, seriously. We spent over an hour on this podcast and you're still here, as always. <sighs> okay. Since you are still here, I have a question for you. So because you resemble your past self of an hour ago, you may quickly move to the claim that you are the same person that started to listen to this show. But if you think long and hard about it, who we are or what we are, it leads to the question, are you still the same person? Mm -hmm. Or are you part of a great conscious dream of consciousness? living in a bizarre illusion of distinctness? Hmm? Or did the podcast change you? Are you not a collection of perceptions at any given time? But if you are not, if you are not only a bundle of perceptions, then what are you? Hmm. Well, I am a scientist. So, and now please take the time to subscribe to the show. Press the like button. And of course, if you watch this on YouTube, please press also the bell icon. And you will get notified if a new show shows up. It may be the thing to do for a person that stands for a thinking, intelligent being that has reason and reflection and can consider itself as itself. The same thinking thing in different times and places. <sighs> Think about your question. I'm going to bed. See you next time.